Good evening and welcome to tonight's Midweek Bible Study. Let's start off with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight as we have another opportunity to come before your presence and study at your feet. We thank you that the Holy Spirit himself will be the master instructor and the master teacher. Thank you for our chance. Thank you for the ability by grace to be able to articulate your word without hindrance, without any interruption. I pray that today may we receive your word with meekness and may we receive your word with humility, that your word will indeed profit us. I pray that may we run with this word in this month of our friends and family in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Before I start, I hope we are all getting the daily flyers concerning our friends and family month. And most importantly, I want to hope we are praying. Amen. Please spend time alone just praying for the next 30 minutes. And um, let, let's, let's use this opportunity as a month of intercession. You see, intercession is the key first, the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that when we seek God's advancement, God's kingdom, uh, God's agenda for souls to be saved, that's part of the kingdom of God. All these things will be added unto you, things you haven't even prayed about. So sometimes one of the best ways to receive answers to your needs being met is to shift off your needs for a minute and then focus on the bigger picture, which is God's agenda. Amen. So please, I, I want all of us to pray. And God willing, September 11th to 30th, in, in that span of 21 days, we will now meet corporately and we'll be praying uh, on, on the flyers that we've been receiving. Amen. So let's take note of that. So we um, um, 11 to 30, um, 30th, we're just going to be praying 30 minutes. That's why it's called 30 for 30. We are praying 30 minutes for 30 days for a soul. Amen. So I want us all to keep that in mind. Last week, we did a two-in-one lesson. And we looked at two parables. Um, the parables in question were that of the hidden treasure and the valuable pearl. And the, both stories had a similar theme. They all painted Christ in the light as a man and a merchant going all out in search of a treasure or a pearl. And it speaks to us of Christ's heart and his love uh, towards us. Christ came to seek us because we were lost. All right. Um, you know, I, I, I quoted a scripture. I think Isaiah chapter 55. The Bible says, seek the Lord whilst you may be found. Isaiah quoted, Isaiah gave this word to the Israelites during his time. And nobody could seek the Lord. How are you going to seek the Lord? You see, we, we all received Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, not because we, we sucked him. He sucked us first. We didn't find Christ. We were lost. We had no navigation. So Christ came to seek us because there was no help. He came to throw the rope. We were sinking. 
and he gave us the rope so that we could be rescued. He sucked us, and then he found us because we were lost. Amen. So both stories really talks to us about, um, one thing we also realize is that both stories also talk to us about the cost and expense at which the treasure and the valuable pearl were both found. And the price that it took to be bought, or in this case, redeemed, it underscores to us the price Christ really paid for our salvation through his death that we can be redeemed. We are like that valuable pearl. We are like that treasure. The first parable lets us know that when the man found the treasure, he sold everything he had and bought the field. The other one also tells us about the valuable pearl one when the Merchant found the pearl. He was so happy. He sold everything just to buy that pearl. It talks to us about crisis, expense, and death. He had to shed blood to redeem us. And that's one thing I like about salvation. That's why salvation is a work of grace. You and I are saved not because of what we could do, do you know that if Christ should have left the payment up to us, none of us would have been able to foot the bill of salvation. Salvation is free, but it is not cheap. You know that in, the, in this world, there are two types of free. There are some things that are free basically because it's cheap. You know, and, and sometimes even in this world, you see people who like to attach significance and relevance to what they wear, you know, clothing, the fragrance they wear and things like that. Like, yo, do you know what I'm wearing? I'm wearing a Versace. I'm wearing whatever. Why? Because of the price. Because they may equate it to if it's cheap, it's basically free. But not everything that is free that is cheap. There are some things that are free because it has been paid for. That's where salvation falls into place. Salvation is free not because it's cheap. Salvation is free because it was at the expense. And it was paid for on the account of Christ shedding his blood. That is the price of our salvation. That is redemption. Amen. So salvation is a work of grace. So that is what I like. So from this story, we have to see ourselves as that treasure, that valuable pearl, that Christ went all out by even shedding his own blood so that you and I could be heirs of salvation because we are redeemed. Redemption is such a costly price. Salvation is free. It's a work of grace, but it's not cheap. Thank God for Christ. Today we are all here. We can all experience the grace of God at work because we are all heirs of salvation. It is free, but it is not cheap. Let's remember that. Amen. Let's switch gears now and let's look at our lesson for tonight. This will be our sixth parable under our sub-theme that we are doing. Amen. And it can be found in Matthew chapter 13. 
verse 47 to 50. Matthew chapter 13, verse 47 to 50. So if you all do remember, our, we are doing a set of parables under part two. The kingdom is present with us. So this is our set parable. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, verse 47 to 50. Again. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. Now, how does he use the word again? You see, if you read Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13 is a chapter of parables. Jesus was just given parable after parable. So he was just about to give another parable. Amen. So in, in, that, in Matthew chapter 13, there, there's about eight or nine parables, if I'm not mistaken. Amen. You can fact check me on that. So Matthew chapter 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea. Excuse me. And gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore. And they sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but threw the bad away. Verse 49. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Amen. Now, in verses 49 to 50, gives us the import of this illustration. You know, um, when I was reading this scripture, I felt one of the reasons why parables are difficult to interpret sometimes is we have to learn how to read a parable. But when you learn how to read a parable, you will know, one, the theme of the parable. Two, you will know what Jesus is saying. Three, you will know what Jesus is not also saying. Right, so when you're trying to learn how to read a parable, all this matter, and because if you don't learn how to read a parable, you always come up with very faulty um, interpretations, which might not necessarily be right. Amen. So, verses forty-nine to fifty of what I just read gives to us the import of this illustration. Why is Jesus telling us this parable? The truth to take home tonight is separation. Separation. That is the import of the parable. So Jesus gave this parable to talk to us about separation. And what is the separation? There will be a divide of the wicked from the just by angels. Now, why the separation? The separation is to appoint the wicked to their eternal destination, which is hell. And hell is given a graphic description here. It's a furnace of fire. Amen. So why do the wicked have to be judged? Now, I'm laughing not because it's funny. It's not funny at all because this has to do with the salvation of a soul. But this is smack up in our face 
Jesus is talking to us about hell. And that's nothing to be played about. But the reason why I laugh because it just hits us right in the face what Jesus wants to drive home to his audience, which includes us who are reading the Bible. Now, the question is, why do the wicked have to be judged? And who are the wicked in this context? So two things I want us to know. Why do the wicked have to be judged? One, number two, who are the wicked in this context? So let us start by answering the last question. Who are the wicked in this context? The wicked in this context are not evil per se. Because when we use the word wicked, we, we sometimes use it to describe someone who is evil, someone who might have done a heinous crime, or so to speak. But in this context, when we look at the word wicked, Wicked doesn't mean evil. Wicked simply means people who are opposed to righteousness. That's wicked. So you may have not committed a crime. Okay. You may not be a murderer. You may not be a thief. Um, you may be moral. But morality is not righteousness. You could have done everything right. Never had a speed ticket. Never had a parking ticket. Very, very morally upright. An outstanding member of society as far as morals are concerned. But in the eyes of the Lord, you are still wicked. Why? Because wicked here is not referring to an evil person. Wicked here is referring to the person opposed to righteousness. And how do you oppose righteousness? You oppose righteousness by not receiving the gift of righteousness. That's how you oppose righteousness. Trying to rest in your laurels, trying to believe in your works, is the height of all sin. That's self-righteousness. So the wicked in this context is not the evil person. The wicked in this context is the person opposed to the gift of righteousness. And for us to come to a place of righteousness, it's not about doing righteous things first. What will make us righteous is to receive the gift of righteousness. Then from the vantage position and point of righteousness, you begin to do good works. Amen. So morality is not righteousness. It is not. It is not righteousness. Receiving Christ is the starting point for everybody to become righteous. Amen. So when you haven't received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, that is wicked. Now, one of the varying definitions of an English word in the Bible is wicked, especially when you look at it in the Greek. It might have various meanings, various um, um, definitions 
concerning the context in which it's used. For example, if you read the story of the talents, where the in Matthew chapter 25, I want to believe Matthew chapter 25, where it talks about um, some were given five, another two, uh, one person was given one talent according to his or his ability. You know, that word talent there is just money. It's a money scripture. Talents there is not referring to abilities or skill. Talent there is referring to money. They gave them money. And the, the person with the one talent came back to the master and said, um, I know that you are a hard man. You, 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 don't, you don't reap what you have sown. I kept your money in a napkin and this is it. And, I, and hid it. this is it. I give it back to you. When the master received the, the ta one talent back, he said, you are a wicked man. You are a wicked man and then you are a lazy servant. If you look at the definition of that word wicked, it's not the same definition I gave here. That word wicked means you are a twisted man. You twisted my words. And that word wicked, if you look at it in the Greek, it comes from the word wicked furniture. You know, it calls something wicked furniture, a twisted furniture. That is the concept. So what I'm trying to say is that there are varying definitions and interpolations of the word wicked in the Bible. But when you look at this word wicked here, it's not referring to somebody who does evil per se an evil crime, a heinous crime, or our normal definition of wicked. It just means someone who is opposed to righteousness. So you may know someone who is very morally upright, but God may see him or her as wicked because he is opposed to righteousness. And being opposed to righteousness means you haven't received the gift of righteousness. Amen. Now, this brings us to our first question now. Why will God judge the wicked? Why judgment? Because God will be fair to everyone who had the gospel but opposed it by not, by not accepting Christ as their Lord. You know, I've received one of these questions. Pastor, what will happen to those who genuinely never had an opportunity to hear the gospel? And my question is, who told you they never had the opportunity? It's one of the reasons God in his fairness and in his justice will bring judgment. Because everybody listening to me at the sound of my voice, anybody who is dead, past, present, future to be born, will all, listen to me, will all have the opportunity to hear the gospel one way or another. That's why God will judge. Everybody. So there is nobody who is like, I never had the opportunity. Everybody. That's why he's just. Otherwise, then he's not a just God and he's not a fair God. But for what I know is that I know the character of God. I don't know the ways and means by which we are now 9 billion, so they say. I don't know how 9 billion people will hear the gospel, but I know the character of God and that. 
And one of the characteristics of God is that he's just and he's fair. And before this world will come to an end, he is going to give a fair hearing, a fair shake to everybody because everybody on this earth will have an opportunity to hear the word, including those who are dead and gone. Everybody has had, those who are dead have had an opportunity one way or another to experience God, to see God, to, to have chances where they could have repented one way or another because of the character of God. Amen. So that is why God will judge. He's going to judge people because they had the opportunity to hear the word of God, but they opposed righteousness by not receiving the gift of righteousness. That's why God is going to judge. Amen. Now, let's look at this parable in question here. For those who just came in late, we are reading from Matthew chapter 13, verse 47 to 50. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 47 to 50, underscores the parable of the nets, or as some versions would say, the parable of the dragnets. Amen. So, this parable is a simple parable. Jesus is basically talking about a net being cast into the sea for a catch. And it gathered some of every kind to the shore when it was full. And when you read the scripture, it says, what was termed good was put in the vessel. Now, if you look at the word good there, it just means fish. Then it talked about what was termed bad was thrown away. That word bad, when you look at it in the Greek, it also means fish. So basically, it's just talking about fish, you know. F, 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 no. So who, who, who uses nets? That's fishermen, right? That's their instrument. So they cast the nets into the sea. The net was full. They dragged it to the shore. And they begin to separate bad fish from good fish. So what was good, basically, we put in the vessel for marketing purposes or for food, and that which was rotten or putrefied, it will be thrown away. Amen. So basically, that's that's just the story. Amen. So Jesus is just talking about fishermen who threw a net to catch different kinds of fish. Some were good, some were bad. One thing that you all have to realize in this parable is that Jesus didn't use symbolism in this story. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, there are some parables Jesus will use symbolism. A typical example is Mark chapter 4. We all remember Mark chapter 4. It talks to us about the sower. The sower went out through seeds. It fell on four different kinds of soil or four different kinds of grounds. That was symbolism. The first ground represents this heart. The second ground represents that heart. The third ground represents that heart. The fourth ground represents that heart. We've done that story into two. That is symbolism. But in this parable, Jesus didn't use symbolism. He did not really say that, okay, this fisherman meant that this net meant. He didn't do that. 
He rather used this as an illustration to explain the end times, which will involve a separation. And what Jesus was more concerned about, if you read the story carefully, that's why I'm saying that to interpret a parable well, we have to learn how to read a parable in the first place. Because if we don't learn how to read a parable, we will come up with all sorts of faulty interpretations which can affect how we live our Christian life. So if you look at this parable critically, which is just three verses, verses 47 to 50, Jesus is not concerned about the nets being thrown. Jesus is not concerned about the contents. Jesus is just concerned about the separation. That is his key emphasis. That's why I mentioned that in the beginning. He's just talking about the end times. It will involve a separation. Just as fishermen will separate bad fish from good fish, there is going to be a separation. When Jesus called his disciples in Matthew 4.19, if you do remember the story, that was Peter, Andrew, James, and John. These four people. He says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So Jesus used fishing as euphemism for evangelism, soul winning and everything. But in this particular story that we are reading, this particular one, Jesus is not talking to us about evangelism per se. Are you understanding me? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, that same story is in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, I believe Jesus says you will catch men. But in Matthew 4, Jesus explicitly used the word, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So when you read that scripture in context, Jesus is using fishing as a euphemism for soul winning. But in this scripture, we talks to us about the net was cast into the sea and it caught all kinds of fish, good fish, bad fish, which had to be separated. The emphasis of this story, the focus on this particular parable, which is called the parable of the net, is not talking to us about soul winning. It's not talking to us about quote-unquote fishing. Do you understand? Even though we've seen it once on record that Jesus used fishing as a euphemism for evangelism. So now, what is the point of this story? To understand the point of this story, look with me at verse 49. Verse 49, look at the first 10 words of verse 49. It explains to us what this parable is all about. So it will be at the end of this age. So it will be at the end of this age. The first 10 words of verse 49. So it will be at the end of this age. So Jesus is more focused on the end of the age, which I said will involve separation. And that separation mirrors the illustration of the fishermen separating bad fish from good fish. Do you all understand? Now, I want you to note something of paramount importance in this parable. This is the second time angels are mentioned. 
just in one chapter, in Matthew chapter 13. We've done the parable of the wheat and tares. In the parable of the wheat and tares, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 39, the angel were termed as reapers. And why were they called reapers? They were called reapers because they will separate the tares from the wheat. They will gather the wheat, put them in a barn, and then they will bundle the tares and they will burn it in fire. Right? And then the second time we see the role of angels here, which is similar to what has been said, is in the same Matthew chapter 13, again, verses 49 to 50, which we are doing today. This time they will apportion the wicked their eternal destination, just the same as what we did in Matthew chapter 13, verse 39. Amen. So there are some key takeaways from this story, which I want us to take home, and then we'll be done for tonight. So the parable of the dragnets, the parable of the nets, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 47 to 50, is talking to us about separation. Separation at the end of this age. It's not talking to us about fishing. It's not talking to us about Christians who will become fishers of men. Jesus is rather underscoring the point of separation at the end of this age. This is Jesus' focus. Why? Because he's looking at the way a fisherman will separate good fish from bad fish after a heavy catch. Jesus is using just that illustration. He's not using symbolism. He's just using that illustration to highlight his point that there is an event called the end of this age. And when it comes, just as a fisherman will separate good from bad fish, he's also going to separate his chosen from those who are appointed hell. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 46, I believe, the Bible talks to us about on the, uh, on the last day, Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats. He will say, the sheep should come to my right, the goats to my left. Then he will there is going to be a separation. So the focus, the truth of this story we have to take home tonight is there will be a divine separation at the end of this age. Amen. So some key takeaways from this story. Number one, there is an event called the end of this age. You know, one of the things that people are not believing, and I believe it's a, a plot of the enemy, is the end time. People are really taking things for a joke. People are really taking things lightly that this is it. This is all that the world has to offer. What we feel, what we taste, what we see, what we hear. And that's it. We've just limited to the five senses. There is a world beyond this world. This world will come to an end. 
hey, it's okay to make money. It's okay to want to live a good life. It's okay to strive to live your best life. But at the expense of what? At the expense of your salvation, at the expense of your soul, Jesus once remarked, what will it gain a man if he, what will it profit a man? What profit if you gain everything in this world, but you lose your soul? There is an event called the end of this age. It's going to come. Jesus says that the way the fisherman takes his time to separate bad from good fish, so it will be at the end of this age. There is an event coming called the end of this age. And yes, maybe from Peter's time. Because the last days, it started from Peter's time. In the last days, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. When did that occur? It happened during Peter's time. From Peter's time, that message has been triumphed. It has been heralded. And it seems like it's almost becoming a facade. There is still an event called the end of this age. So, Christians, we shouldn't be dull-hearted. We shouldn't lose vigilance. We should be very steady. We should be very steady. There is a, an event called the end of this age. It is going to come. No matter how long it, it, it tarries, it is going to happen. It is called the end of this age. It's the time that everything on this earth will fold. Everything will have to come to an end. Amen. So let's be mindful of that. Number two, angels have a role to play in this event. And I think it's important for us to highlight that. I think one of the things that we don't have too much information on are angels. First and foremost, angels are not to be worshipped. Angels are not God. Angel, an, an angel is not in the same class as Christ. Right? So we have to put angels at their proper domain. Angels are messengers of God. But angels will play a key role in the events of the end time. Go with me to Revelation chapter 20. Verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pits and a great chain in his hand, too. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. My emphasis on this scripture is angels are involved in the judgments. They come to apportion, especially those 
who are wicked. You see, what I find funny is that the devil that we are binding, we are losing sleep. It's just one angel. They just let them. There's only one angel. <laughs> now, look at something in Revelation chapter 20 again. And this time, look at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in these books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and haste delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his head. Then death and haste were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone who is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now who will do the casting? Is it Christ? Is it God? Angels. And Jesus had already said that. That's why they are termed the reapers. They are there to gather the harvest of the end of the age. That which are tears, they put them in fire. That which is useful, wheat, they bundle them and they put them in the barn. So angels play a very significant role. So I want us all to know that. Amen. Angels are messengers. Angels are going to be a key um, figure when it comes to the end of the age. Number three, the wicked will receive their reward. The wicked will receive their reward. And the Bible lets us know. Anybody who has not received Christ as their Lord and personal Savior is wicked. I'm talking about you've killed somebody, you've been involved in a mass school shooting. I'm not talking about any of that. Just being opposed to righteousness by not receiving the gift of righteousness is wicked. And if it's like that, you will receive your reward. Amen? So we should take note of that. The wicked will receive their reward. And what would their reward be? We read it in Matthew chapter 13, verse 47 to 50. They will be in a place of fire, a place of eternal torment. Number four, hell is a real place, not an imagination. It's a real place, not an imagination. Hell is real. When you read throughout the Bible, hell is a real place. It's not a proverb. It's not a byword. It's a real place. It's a literal place. It's not an imagination. And number five, hell is not a fun place. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's not going to be a fun place. And it's a place of eternal torment. The wicked will receive their reward. It will be a place of eternal torment. Amen.
So now let me close with this. Why will God, who is merciful, judge sin and sinners? Why? Because this sounds brutal. It sounds wicked. It sounds horrible. Why will Jesus even give this parable? Why? But to understand this, let's just read two scriptures for now. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. Now, that's talking about God. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? So there's Habakkuk talking about God. God is pure can't behold evil. And evil is not going to reign in his sight forever. So even though God is compassionate, he is merciful, he is also just. It is in tribute to his justice and his faithfulness. That is why sin and sinners will have to be punished. Amen. The second scripture, Revelation chapter 4 verse 8. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Four living creatures, they are not resting day and night. And all that they are saying is God is holy. And they are saying it three times. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. God has been holy since eternity past. He is holy, and he will still be holy in the future. God is a holy God. It is in tribute to his nature. He is a just God. That is why he will judge sin. Amen. So today, I just want you to think on these things which we've shared tonight. You are a believer. You have escaped his wrath. You have escaped his judgment. And when we are believers, the Bible lets us know in 1 John that we have boldness on this day of judgment because we have escaped from death to life. But the bigger question, in this Friends and Family Month, what about those who haven't received Christ? What can you and I do to avert the wrath of God? Because it's a real thing. And this is where the onus falls on us. We have to preach the gospel. We have to cast the nets. We have to be fishers of men. Amen.
think on this. You have escaped the wrath. Like we had said last week, you are that treasure, you are that valuable pearl. Jesus shed his blood, the cost of redemption, so that salvation can be free. We should make this free gift available so that people will come to the saving knowledge of his grace that they will escape hell where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So please, think on what you've heard tonight. Don't just let this be another sort of knowledge that you will store in your knowledge bank. But truly, let us live by these words. Let's rescue the perishing. Let's care for the dying. God is going to judge wickedness. And one form of wickedness is opposing righteousness. And if you and I know people who are opposing righteousness, and to oppose righteousness means you may haven't you may have not received the gift of righteousness, which is Jesus Christ. We who who have the gospel near in our mouths, we should make known the saving knowledge of Christ to people. Amen. And let me also tell you something. When we believers also look idly for people to perish, we will also be judged. That is not my message for tonight, so I'll leave that for another day. But as believers, if we also look idly and abrogate our responsibility, we will also be judged. So we should think about that. Amen. So tonight, just think on what you've heard. There's going to be a divine separation. Just as bad fish is separated from good fish, uh, wicked people will be separated from just people. Let's think about these things. God bless you. Who has any question or contribution? It's welcome. I know when you talk about things like that, it might look heavy. And it is supposed to sound heavy, yes. Um, but we can't do anything against the truth. It has to be shared. Amen. God bless you. So we are done with Parable 6, the parable of the dragnets. If you have any question or contribution, it's welcome. Amen. 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 That enjoyed uh, this. I, I think um, uh, what, what kind of like stood out for me is just the difference between um, the different ways that wickedness is used in the scripture. Uh, and that's important because we need to realize that sometimes just because we are moral doesn't make us righteous. And it's more about uh, doing what God wants us to do and following the scripture. So you can actually be a Christian and be wicked. Right. So, yeah, I thought that was really, um, was really good. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
was uh, I was shocked uh, when you, you the last statement you made about we Christians um, not witnessing to the consequences of us not witnessing to others so that they can be saved. I mean, we are not safe to be just sit there and do nothing. We are safe to go out and save others. And who is the best person to reach out to your family or your friends? It's you. You know? And this scripture came to mind. Uh, I think it's Ezekiel chapter 3, but I don't know exactly where the verses, but Ezekiel 3 talks about God will require the blood of the unsaved person from us, especially when God tells you that witness to this person, warn them, and you don't, and they die in their sin. Their blood will be required of you. So when you said it, because I was just reading this the other day, and uh, I made a note on it, and so I think it's a, uh, it didn't, you didn't just say by accident. I think it's something that God require. God wants us to be very careful. I mean, we should go out there. We should, we have to take this Christianity thing very serious, you know. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. We'll take one last contribution or question. If I don't see any and or any contribution within the next minutes, then we'll pray and close. All right, it looks like we are good. Um, <clears throat> how many of you saw the flyer for today? I just want us to use the next um, few minutes we have before we close just to pray. So go with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Anyone who's open can read. Ephesians 1, 18. Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know that you may know what is hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Amen. So that's what the scripture says. The eyes of your heart or understanding will be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and all that good stuff. So we want to pray for that one friend that God has placed in our hearts for his or her salvation. Is it that the eyes of your understanding or the eyes of your heart being enlightened is what will cause a person to be saved? Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says that the devil who is the God of this world has blinded 
the minds of many that they will not receive the glorious gospel. So you either have an enlightened understanding or a darkened understanding. If you are darkened understanding, you can't receive Christ. So we just want to pray. Apostle Paul prayed this. So in the spirit of this, I just want us to pray for that one person who hasn't received that call or that invitation to salvation that may they experience enlightened understanding. Shall we pray? With a heart of compassion, O oh Lord, we pray for that one person, O oh Lord, that comes to mind who has not received also in the invitation. Cadebres global taribros shabakan delibre cabayan tanimadosi paviande cadobros goboshiban salabroca yander a bezupantonimoshi calaban tanimasu cadebre canton a mozikarababan. Father, let preachers come their way, O Lord. We ask for laborers to come their path, O Lord. Cadobros in taraboshi carababa. And Father, if you are sending us to, may we be obedient and may we be willing to obey that call in Jesus' name. Cadobroski and Tobos, Ebebre, Hantadibros. Thank you, Lord. Lord, may we have a heart of compassion for the unsaved. May we have a heart of compassion for the perishing. May we have a heart of compassion for all those who have a darkened understanding and are alienated from you. May we have a heart of compassion for the wicked. Father, awaken in us a zeal for witnessing. Awaken in us a zeal to share our testimony of you as Lord, O oh Lord. And Father, make us fishers of men. Make us fishers of men, especially in this month of our friends and family. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Look forward to day seven of our flyer. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. And God willing, I'll see some of you on Sunday. Good night. <laughs>